0: Welcome to our five-week course on, uh, that's an introduction to concentration practice. And um, for many years, I have been teaching a five-week introductory course in mindfulness meditation. Some of you have probably taken that. And uh, it's something I've enjoyed doing a lot. It seems like it's a valuable thing to offer. And about two years ago, for the first time, I offered an introductory class on concentration that's supposed to be kind of parallel to the mindfulness introduction, basic introduction to concentration. And uh, both these uh, topics, mindfulness and concentration, are central to the teachings of the Buddha, to the practice that the Buddha taught. And they're so central that uh, they can be seen as the two wheels of a chariot, or two wheels of a bicycle, or uh, sometimes the images of, t- of uh, two wings of a bird. You need to have both wings in order for the bird to fly. So you need to have both in order for uh, the Dharma to practice, the Buddha spiritual life to unfold. And If you read the discourses of the Buddha, you see that he puts a tremendous emphasis on concentration. Um, and uh, So much so that you get the impression that, for the Buddha, wisdom unfolds with the deepening of concentration. In, um, um, in one of the classic descriptions of the Buddha's spiritual path, or one of the kind of classic kind of summaries of it, it's summarized into three areas, three categories. One is called ethics, integrity. The other is called concentration, samadhi. And then the third is wisdom, and uh, so one third of this is samadhi, huge part of it. And in a sense, the ethics part, the integrity part, lays the foundation in virtue and a good heart that makes it easier, makes it possible for us to go deep in the world of meditation, the world of meditation practice. Um, It's very hard. Turns out, it's very hard. It turns out that in order to get really still, really concentrated, the heart has to be pure. Without a purity of heart, a pure intentions, a good heart, it's very hard to get concentrated. If you have a lot to be remorseful for, if you have a lot of um, uh, uh, ill will or a lot of uh, lack of integrity in some way or other, uh, it'll come and uh, present a barrier for allowing the mind to become concentrated partly because a concentrated mind is a pure mind and so if the mind is impure it can't become pure that's that simple it's not that you know just the two don't go together right if you want to have um, white paint you don't pour black into it that doesn't work right so um, so on the basis of ethics, integrity. Then there's a cultivation of samadhi. For now we'll call it concentration. And then on that, that's a basis for wisdom, for seeing clearly, for understanding, for liberation. Um, The Buddha said, one who is concentrated can see clearly. I think of um, concentration as being like a... um, Like a tripod for a, for a camera. If you're trying to take a picture, you know uh, something that's kind of if you know taking a picture, and um, you need to take a quick shot. And if your hand is wobbly, you can't get a clear picture. And so you need to have you put the camera on a tripod, and they have that firm foundation, and then you, the picture can be quite clear because the camera is stable. In order for the mind to be stable enough to see clearly. There has to be that support, the kind of this tripod that gives stability to it. Or the same thing for a telescope, right? You, know, you try to look at the moon through a telescope. It's not going to work if you're holding a telescope. But you put it on a tripod, then you have the stability that uh, you can uh, see clearly and directly what's up there in the skies. So it's the fu- one of the functions of concentration is to provide enough stability in the mind so that we can see clearly. So there, in that in that line of reasoning, you can understand why it's such an important partner to a mindfulness practice. Mindfulness is the practice of seeing clearly, but it's hard to see clearly unless the mind is stable. If you're agitated and um, distracted, or if your um, mind is busy and racing around, it's actually very hard to see. So, the mind has to be have some stability in it. So um, Concentration is a very important factor in Buddhist meditation. And it's a partner to mindfulness. Some teachers will teach only mindfulness, trusting that as a person does dedicated mindfulness practice, sufficient concentration follows in the wake of it. That just naturally, kind of a natural concentration follows as you do mindfulness practice. Some teachers will teach concentration practice first, with the idea that it's very hard to get sufficient concentration by doing mindfulness only. But if you do concentration practice first, then you build up enough concentration to have that stability to be able to use the mindfulness in an effective way. Both ways uh, uh, are fantastic ways. Whether uh, I think different ways work well for different people. Some people it's better to do, start with concentration and then do mindfulness. Some people find they prefer to do mindfulness and then uh, first and then concentration. I right, said right, and then. Um, and some people only do mindfulness. And occasionally some, pe- some people only do concentration practice. Um, there's a variety of ways of doing it. It's kind of individual. The advantage of focusing on mindfulness as a primary practice is that mindfulness is always relevant in all situations. Um, whereas concentration is not always relevant. I mean, Some, some stability is there. But um, uh, concentration sometimes... Um, um, you can be too concentrated. I mean, I, I've been in situations, I've been on retreat. or um, Sometimes I've c- I come back from retreat, and, and um, I'm kind of a little bit, you know, you know, my wife wishes ours a little bit faster. <laughs> and um, the, um, anyway, sometimes when the mind is really concentrated, it can be hard to switch gears and engage, you know, get on the Highway 101. And so, um, also concentration practice doesn't contain in and of itself a lot of wisdom, a lot of clear seeing. So some people who focus a lot on concentration, um, when they leave the concentrated state, can uh, end up um, being quite foolish. Uh, all, all reactive patterns can still function. And um, sometimes if you focus only on concentration, um, some it tend, because it tends to create a pure mind, or, or blissful feelings or good feelings. That sometimes people create a split between who they are when they're concentrated and who they are in the rest of the time. And there can be a tremendous duality between everyday mind, everyday life, and the concentrated state. And uh, people hold on to that concentrated pure state and, you know, one have nothing to do with the regular world uh, because it's such a big contrast between the two. Um, I think those problems don't occur as readily. When a person focuses primarily on mindfulness practice. Because mindfulness is really applicable and useful in any situation, whether your mind is agitated or whether your mind is serene, mindfulness is useful. Um, so, um, but ideally, concentration and mindfulness are partners and they work in tandem. Um, so, um, I think it would be useful to spend these next few weeks. Looking at concentration as a support for mindfulness practice. Looking at concentration, the different elements of concentration, how it's cultivated, how it's developed, what happens when you get concentrated. Um, so you can get a kind of sense of that terrain, that world. What I'll do during these five weeks is um, today is uh, primarily introductory, a lot of introductory stuff about the topic. Uh, and next week, I'll have a little bit more introductions, and if you kind of starting to get into the more of the details of concentration, and uh, the third week we'll talk more about the obstacles to concentration, difficulties you have to take care of. The fourth week we'll talk more about some of the deeper states of concentration that can arise and some of the ways those play out. And the fifth week, um, I forget what I talked about the fifth week. <laughs> so by that, by, by fifth week I'll know. <laughs> I'm uh, trusting that uh, those of you who are here are here because you want to develop your concentration. That this is not an academic interest. And um, Now, in order to develop your concentration, you have to practice. Without practicing, there's very little development. So, the expectation, the requirement for doing this five-week class, uh, and there's a requirement. Um, and that is, that during these five weeks that you meditate 45 minutes a day. Now, it doesn't have to be 45 minutes at one time, uh, if your life doesn't allow for that. Or sometimes it's actually better, you, know, you divide it in half and meditate for 22 and a half minutes <laughs> in the morning and 22 and a half minutes in the afternoon, or three periods of 15 minutes. Sometimes taking shorter chunks. It's better than a long chunk when you're doing concentration, because what's important with concentration developing is the quality of your practice, not the quantity. So if you can have, um, you know, if 15 minutes you have fairly good quality of being focused and concentrated, and then the last half an hour, 45 minutes, you sit kind of your mind's drifting and you know going to sleep, that's not so useful. So if you sit for 15 minutes, get up, and then later in the day sit for another 15 minutes, and another 15 minutes, you know, you can do different ways of doing it. But um, somehow or other you should have 45 minutes of meditation every day. The second requirement is uh, to memorize a Buddhist text. And uh, if you did not take this class before, then I'd like you to memorize this uh, uh, Metta Sutta we just passed out to you. Oh man, (laughs) I know it's hard, I'll talk more about it. And. uh, there were, I got the same response last time. <laughs> and some people said, well, I just can't memorize anything, it's really hard for me. And I don't know anybody who did it who wasn't grateful and happy that they'd memorized the text. Um, it's a good, really good thing to do. And now, if you look at the class before, we have an other <laughs> text for you to memorize. Mm-hmm. And uh, for two reasons. One, it's just good to memorize something else. Uh, but also because uh, this version is different. Th- th- this version of the Metta Sutta is different than the one you memorized last time, and it would just be confusing to memorize a different version. So, um, Anne up here has a, a copy of the Mangala Sutta, uh, Discourse on Blessings, and, and so you can get that. And it's about the same length, so it's, it's comfortable. Now, the reason for memorization is that. Um, is. Uh, 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 One reason is that concentration, uh, memorization, the way you use your mind when you memorize is similar to how you use your mind when you're concentrated. You have to be concentrated and focused in order to memorize something. You have to to engage your mind in a way to hold something in your mind. You have to hold the words, the idea, the memory in your mind, and stay focused long enough to to sink in and keep repeating it. So, uh, um, and It's a classic uh, practice in Buddhism. To memorize texts, it's an ancient, very important practice that seems to be kind of lost here in the West. But it strengthens the mind, and um, and I met many people in Asia, monks in Asia, who uh, even to their old age were memorizing or repeating what they memorized to keep their mind sharp. And um, so, it strengthens the mind. It's one of the ways to strengthen the mind. So, if you think you don't have much ability to concentrate, everybody has an ability to concentrate. It's like a like it's like a muscle. But maybe you never really worked the muscle. And so now you've got to start working the muscle. And with time, it'll get stronger for you. The other thing is that um, um, the effort to try to memorize, even if you don't succeed, is useful. And I'll talk about this also, that the efforts to try to get concentrated is useful, even if you don't get concentrated. What it it requires of you, what you see about yourself, what you learn about yourself, uh, what's exercised in your mind, is all for your benefit, even if you don't succeed in getting concentrated. So it's very important not to um, get disappointed or discouraged if you can't get concentrated, if you can't memorize. You still need to try, and trying is beneficial. Um, The other benefit of memorizing a text is, once you have it memorized, you can chant it or recite it or say it to yourself, and uh, it's a kind of a, a technique of getting concentrated. If you really get absorbed or get involved trying to remember something from memory that's somewhat long, it takes you can't think about a lot of other things. You can't think about what's for dinner. You can't think about why your boss doesn't like you. You can't think about whether you should you know do X. You know you can't think about things that kind of depress you. You have to kind of stay present for those things. And it kind of simplifies the mind, it clarifies the mind, it focuses the mind. At the end of that chant, probably you'll find the mind is more focused and concentrated. And many times, um, in Asia especially, meditators will often start a period of meditation by doing a chant, reciting something from memory. Because it helps focus the mind, it kind of brings that concentration factor into play. So if you memorize this Metta Sutta, then you have a resource. That you can use. Another benefit of memorizing a text is that there are teachings in a text that, when you memorize them, go into the psyche in a deeper way. And you just re- read it, and kind of just read it, and see how it goes in. It kind of like it kind of penetrates more deeply, or it gets more rooted in there. the mind has to negotiate, or kind of work, or be affected, or or really acknowledge what's being said in a way that's very different than just reading something and going on. Um, and a text that I've memorized, I'm always amazed at how certain lines or phrases will pop up at opportune times. I'm just going about my life and there it is. Oh, yes. It kind of reminds me or inspires me or, or, or that's what it means or that's how it applies here or something. And um, you know, it's there kind of in the subconscious and it comes up when it's needed in a nice way. Now, the the word for, uh, the Pali word, the Buddhist word for concentration is samadhi. And sometimes you find also the word samata. That's related to that, but samadhi. And um, probably the English word concentration is not a good translation for samadhi. Um, Partly because um, I think that the English word concentration has this idea of, of, um, for many people, association of Kind of um, fixating the mind or focusing the mind in kind of one-pointed way, and just kind of zeroing in like a laser on something. And um, being one-pointed is an important part of samadhi, but it's only one element of samadhi. Um, if you take the etymology of the word sam- samadhi, you get and translate that into English, you get an interesting word, and you get com- composure. Or Composure, because the word sam means with, and the d part of samadhi means to stand or to pose. So samadhi means to stand with or to compose. So the English word compose has a much broader feeling to it than concentration. It's more of a state. You compose yourself in a situation. It's something we often do with our body. You, know, you compose yourself. Your mother says and so you kind of stand, you know, stand straight, they're going kind to of relax, or be, be grounded here in your body. Um, it's you settle your body, you're kind of settling of your whole being around something when you compose yourself. So, it's a, a samadhi is something you do, it's a state of being, not a single uh, a factor of the mind. So, when you're cultivating samadhi in Buddhism concentration, we're, we're actually cultivating a, a, a different state of being than a normal state of being. So, um, uh, it's a state where the, um, both the mind, the body, the heart is more supple, more relaxed, um, more unified, more um, focused, certainly. And um, some people will translate the idea of samadhi as unification of mind, because it involves bringing together, composing together. The, the fragmented aspects of the mind and the being. The normal state of mind, for most people, is a fragmented mind. The mind is going off in all kinds of directions, it's a centrif- centrif- centrifugal force out of itself. It's thinking, going into the future, the past, thinking about this, thinking about that. The mind is not in the same place as the body. If you're thinking about the future a lot, your mind's in the future, and your body's here. If you're thinking about the past a lot, you know your mind's in the past, your body's here. And that fragments the body and the mind. And, and different elements of the mind are fragmented. We're, thinking, we're, we have, we're, we're focusing on something, but our mind is on something else, or intending something else. Part of the function of concentration practice is to take all the different factors of body and mind and unify them, harmonize them, so they're all basically working for the same purpose. The unified intention. Um, the, uh, the term is sometimes translated as one-pointedness. Ekagata uh, could be translated into English as having a, a, a single direction. So everything has a single direction. All the different elements of the mind are unified involved in the same thing. Um, so, if your inten- so if your intention is to focus on the breath, your emotional life, your mental life, your cognitive life, your physical life, all are interested in doing the same thing. All there with it. Whereas, mostly when you first sit down to try to concentrate on the breath, you probably find that your mind has other ideas. It's not really with you. You have the intention to be there, but your mind still wants to think about what happened at work today. And so it keeps going out, keeps going out. Or your body has other ideas. Your body is kind of you know, agitated or restless or sleepy or something. And the body's not kind not of really there with that intention, it's not there to support it. So, samadhi involves a unification of the be- our being whole being. As the being, our beingness, gets unified or harmonized, it becomes more peaceful, it becomes more um, still, it becomes more um, relaxed. I would like to give you a few kind of images for concentration, for samadhi. Uh, perhaps maybe the idea of maybe kind of giving you some maybe some of you work well with images and maybe this will kind of evoke something within you and then uh, after I give these Im- images then um, what I'd like us to do is to read the Metta Sutta out loud together and um, and then repeat it uh, some certain lines of it a few times and then we'll do a, sh- uh, a meditation together. One of the classic images for a concentrated mind is that of a candle flame, and a candle flame in the wind is flickers. But when there's no wind, the the flame, in one sense, looks completely still. It just kind of goes straight up, and you you know can be completely still. However, inside the flame It's really dynamic. And there's this kind of combination of stillness and dynamism at the same time. The mind that's concentrated, in a sense, becomes very still, but it's also very alive. It's called a heightened mind in Buddhism, adichitta, a heightened mind. So, um, it's kind of like taking our, our life energy. And not having it agitated, so it's really still, but that stillness is dynamic, it's very rich, there's a lot of potential, a lot of possibilities in it. Another image, or kind of uh, story, is um, for me that uh, really inspired me a lot when I was in Asia. I practiced um, in a very large monastery in Burma, and at one point during vacation time there were 5,000 people meditating in this monastery. And every morning, um, I'd have to go in a file of other men, monks and lay people, laymen, men, um, to the breakfast hall, to have breakfast. And we'd have to walk by, slowly walk by, this very large hall that was the women's meditation hall. And because Burma's a warm country, uh, the main sides of the building just one series of open doors, really big, wide open doors, so you can kind of see directly right in. It's like an open pavilion almost. almost. And, um, and there, in this meditation hall, was straight rows, row after row, of women meditating. Five hundred women. And it was one of the great sights of my life, to see these you know, It's like a powerhouse, this building. I just loved going by and seeing them. And the women uh, in Burma, when they meditate, Somewhat uh, different than the men, sit with great dignity. They sit up straight. You know, they really just sit there, kind of and I'd go by and I'd, I'd see this. This, uh, when 500 people meditate and sitting straight and still, there's a stillness or a power that emanates from that people. That's just phenomenal. And uh, I'd walk by and just get this kind of hit of this, you know, field of concentration of all these women sitting there, so still, so upright. There's a story like this from the uh, Discourses of the Buddha, of a king who had a very bad conscience. He'd killed some people he shouldn't, like his father. <laughs> and um, and uh, the way the story is told, you probably could, you're probably having a little bit of a bad night, he couldn't sleep. And so his minister tells him, oh, nearby in the woods, the Buddha is there. Why don't we go visit the Buddha? Great idea. So he goes um, to the edge of the woods and then he leaves his bodyguards and his soldiers and elephants behind. And um, I think he enters the woods alone, maybe with his minister, but he enters the wood. And he, he, when you go see the Buddha, it's like, you know, you leave your, you, you know, you leave your swords and your weapons behind because, you know, and so he went into the woods and he was told that there were five hundred, that's a classic number. Um, um, but it's five hundred monks, uh, monastics meditating in the woods with the Buddha. In the, in the woods with the Buddha. So it's night, it's a full moon night, he goes in to the woods. And it's completely still. And there's supposed to be five hundred people in the woods. You know, 500 people is noisy. You expect people to hear th- hear things and noise and all that. And, yeah. and the, um, the description says, the king's hair stood on end, stood up. He got so afraid, he thought it was an ambush. Mm-hmm. But then he saw in the distance a flame, a flame or a candle or a light. And so he uh, walked to that light and there was a place where the Buddha was sitting, at the base of a tree. And all around the Buddha, in the woods around him, were these 500 monastics sitting and meditating. Again, the power of stillness, and um, it's, you know sometimes when you have a room full of people who are meditating, it's stiller than a room that is empty without anybody there. Some of you have that sense. It seems strange, doesn't it? And um, so the king, you know experienced that stillness and was spooked by it. And then he saw the Buddha, and he relaxed and had a conversation. Um, another image for concentration that I l- is clarity. Um, kind of like clear air. You know, if there's a bit smoggy, uh, you can't see very far across the bay. You can't see the hills across the bay. Uh, but when um, the smog goes away, the wind blows it away, or something, and you can see across the bay, you can see it's really clear. Uh, a, a mind that's concentrated has a certain degree of clarity to it. Can see clearly, can see things clearly. The ability to see clearly and having an atmosphere of clarity are synonymous. Like with this smog, right? In order to see this, the, the East Bay Hills, you have to you can see them see them clearly. The air has to be clear. In order for the mind to see clearly, the mind has to be clear. So um, a mind that's concentrated is a mind that's clear or clean. I like a, a clean mind or a clean heart. Very conventionally, uh, or very simply, uh, a concentrated mind is a mind that can remain focused on what it wants to focus on. So that's kind of the usual way we understand. It. Some people have trouble with being focused. Some people have attention deficit problems. Um, and... Um, and uh, but So we cultivate the ability to hold the mind someplace, to keep it there. But if you think it's only a matter of holding the mind still or focused, um, you, pro- you probably won't develop samadhi, since samadhi is a whole state, a state of being. Um, One translation I've seen for samadhi is concentrated repose. It's a nice term, huh? Concentrated repose. There's a kind of ability to rest the attention on where you want the attention to be. So it's not locking on, it's not grabbing hold, it's not straining, but it has a quality of resting or of, you know, being soft, but keeping it there. In order to do that, Softly, if you do it out of an act of will, too much of a will, you, have to, you get kind of tight, and sometimes there 's a tug of war between the distractive forces of the mind. Something else wants your attention, and, and you're know, you thinking about something else, or there 's a sound outside the mind wants to go to, and so then you 're kind of struggling with that tug of war you know, and, and so you kind of push or repress or everything else away or kind of hold everything at bay so you can stay focused. Um, that's not the way of samadhi. The way of samadhi is to repose, to rest, or if soft, softly lay the mind on where you want it to be. And then, rather than push away or fight or resist everything else, to gently let, uh, let it go. Let everything else go. In order to get, concentration has a lot to do with our ability to let go. It has as much to do with letting go as it has with being able to hold the mind still on something. So, so we learn to let go. And letting go is meant to be softening, relaxing. You're not fighting something. You're just kind of dissolving it, letting go. So you let go of our thoughts. So let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And every moment you let go, you're weakening the forces of distraction. You have forces within you that towards getting lost in thought. So we let go and let go. And as the mind lets go, And it's resting, with time, the mind gets quite soft. One of the descriptions of a concentrated mind is that it's a mind which is soft, uh, uh, pliable, malleable, and workable. Those are great next descriptions. Is your mind soft, pliable, malleable, and workable? You think of your mind that way? Most minds are brittle, (laughs) hard, stiff Um, unwieldy. So, you know, the the mind in Buddhism, am I talking too much? (laughs) You know, it's talking away. You know, it's one of the risks of being a teacher, you just kind of carry on these monologues without knowing. (laughs) You know, (laughs) if I am, for some of you, maybe I am, I apologize. I'll, I'll try to stop soon, so we can do a little sitting. The mind is an activity, it's not a thing. I think conventionally you might think of the mind as being maybe synonymous with the brain, or it's a thing. You're born with that mind that you have. But the mind is not a thing, it's not a substance. I mean, the brain is a substance, but the mind is an activity, it's a series of activities. It's something, and because it's an activity, the activity can change, the activity can soften in different ways. So, part of what we're doing in, in developing concentration practice is helping the mind become soft. So, again, that, uh very important Then you're not trying to, to be hard in developing concentration. In the short term, if, you had to, if you're hard or kind of willful, you can maybe get concentrated in a little bit, enough to kind of do certain things that you have to do in daily life. But in order to develop samadhi, there has to be a softness. In order for there to be a softness, there has to be a lot of gentleness towards oneself, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of compassion, a lot of kindness towards oneself. Because if you're hard towards yourself, if you say, Oh, I'm terrible, I'm a bad person, Oh, I'll never get concentrated, I'm not made up for this, you know, all the kind of negative judgments a person can do for themselves, all those represent hardening factors of the mind. And, um,. And so you, have to, so you have to figure out some way or other to let, those, let go of those or put those to rest long enough so during the meditation you can enter into the soft world of samadhi. Some people cannot develop concentration until they somehow come to terms with their um, psychology, with the way they relate to themselves, with their neurosis or something, or their self-criticism as the inner critic or whatever it might be. Somehow that has to come to terms. Uh, or with their conscience, or with their sense of guilt, or their fear, or their anger, or their... All these different things. Uh, So that the mind can start doing it, softening, relaxing. Okay. So we've been now sitting for a little while. If you would like to stand for uh, 30 seconds just to stretch your legs, um, you're welcome to do that. About developing concentration is that it's more important when you do concentration meditation that your body be comfortable than when you're doing mindfulness meditation. In mindfulness meditation we tend to work with the, the physical discomforts that arise. In concentration practice um, it's best not to have a lot of discomfort if you can, if you can help it. If you have a lot of discomfort uh, there's there's practices for you but but um, if you can you don't want to have a lot of physical discomfort when you're doing concentration practice. Um, you don't want to kind of be a couch potato on a slouch either. Uh, you want to sit in a way that's upright and balanced but you don't want to kind of push yourself in a way that makes you uncomfortable um, because you don't want the, the physical pain to be a distraction. As some of you know from teaching uh, take uh, learning about mindfulness. In mindfulness practice, in mindfulness meditation, there is no such thing as a distraction. You know that, right? You learned that, right? Mm-hmm. In concentration practice, there are such things as distractions. And so, in coming into concentration practice, you want to have a wise relationship with distractions, with things, and try to avoid having them. So, you want to um, try to meditate at a time where there's not going to be a lot of noise around or a lot of kids screaming or you know neighbor's you know, leaf blower going or, or um, you know, a lot of things that kind of would be distracting for you. Those It's not important when you do mindfulness meditation, you don't have to protect yourself that way. But when you do concentration practice, you want to you know, do some of that and try to create a quiet, calm, clean environment in which you can practice in. So in a moment, we're going to uh, read out loud the Metta Sutta together. As you do this, we're going to do this as a, as a practice of concentration. And as we read it, if you could um, immerse yourself in the activity of reading it out loud. Turn yourself over completely, as if this is, this is the only thing that's important to do in the world, as if your life depended on it or something. Or this is like the only thing that's interesting, or the most wonderful, fascinating things you've ever read, and you just put yourself completely into it. it. And if you can't do that, because you have some kind of thinking or something that pulls you away, I mean, say for example, you're reading and you say, "This is." Brilliant. I should be telling my neighbors about this. This is great. Um, notice that tendency to leave your absorption in the text. And then gently let go of that if you're willing to come back. Or if you say, why are we doing this silly thing? That's, again, the mind is leaving the focus and staying on here. So whatever so, so try to absorb yourself in what you're doing here, but be very attentive to notice if the, your thoughts start pulling you away. And as soon as you notice that happened, see if you can gently let go of that and reapply yourself to just, just this. If you start uh, paying too much Yeah. So let's just do that. Okay. So metta Sutta. To reach the state of peace,
1: one skilled in the good,
0: should be capable and upright, straightforward and easy to speak to, gentle and not proud, consented and easily supported, living lightly and with few duties, wise and with senses calmed, not arrogant, and without greed for supporters and should not do the least thing that the wise would criticize. One should reflect, may all be happy and secure, may all beings be happy, all living beings, whether weak or strong, tall, large, medium or short, tiny or big, seen or unseen, near or distant, born or to be born, may they all be happy. Let no one deceive another or despise anyone anywhere. Let no one, through anger or aversion, wish for others to suffer. As the mother would risk her own life, The dear child, her only child, so toward all beings who would come, with loving kindness for the whole world, should one cultivate boundless heart, above, below, and all around, without obstruction, without hate, and without ill will, standing or walking. Sitting or lying down, whenever one is awake, may one stay with this recollection. This is called the sublime abiding here and now. One who is virtuous, endowed with vision, not taken by views, and having overcome all greed for sensual pleasure, will not be bored again. So in the middle of the text, there's a line that goes, May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. Let's repeat that together for a few times until I ring the bell. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all beings, be May, all beings be May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. May all be happy and secure. May all beings be happy at heart. So, then sitting upright in a meditative posture.